Well, happy Sunday morning to you. Happy birthday as well to Southbridge. Uh, we're celebrating our seventh year together. Um, we kicked off at our home and then to Chick-fil-A and then to Rocky Run and then back to our homes during COVID and then to the soccer field towards the end of COVID uh, at Rocky Run and then finally into our building that we've been in a year. And we're incredibly thankful for God's faithfulness to us as he has allowed us to grow over the years. Um, God has been incredibly faithful to our church, and I look forward to the next seven years. So I have a question this morning. Who is your favorite person? Who is your favorite person? It, it, somebody who means or has meant the most to you. Um, they've made or they are making the biggest impact on you. Who is that person? Uh, it's likely that I've never met them, yet I'm guessing I know a few qualities about them. Your favorite person isn't or wasn't consumed with themselves. The smaller they attempted to be or they attempt to be, the larger they become, they became. Maybe you don't remember much of what they said, but you'll never forget how they lived. It wasn't what they had, it was what they gave. It wasn't just what they said, it was what they did. And the closer you got, the better they looked, the more real they became. A couple years ago, this clip went viral, and I want to share that with you. Vince Lombardi famously said, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. He never met Merrick Bush, but Steve Hartman did on the road. Get a piece of him, get a piece of him. As a state champion wrestler, Merrick Bush has very few real competitors. But the sophomore from Central Valley Academy near Utica, New York, does have at least one rival, a junior from Indian River named Logan Patterson. Merrick met him on the mat earlier this month. I practiced hard that entire week, and I wanted to beat him. Terry Cavanaugh was the referee. Been in sports a long time, and I've never seen anything like it. As expected, it was a great match. Until, with just about 30 seconds left, Logan twisted his elbow. Oh, oh, oh my God. Up to that point, Merrick had been losing. But Logan's arm was now so badly injured, there was almost no way Merrick couldn't win. So he told his coach, I got this, and went back in to do what he says he had to do. That's Merrick in the blue. Again, all he had to do was stand up and pin his hobbled opponent. But instead, Merrick did nothing. He just told Logan he was sorry about his arm and surrendered. Logan couldn't believe it. He just sat there. He didn't move. I think it was goodness out of his heart. He's a great person. I know it makes me look kind of like a weakling, but no, that's all right. No, it doesn't. No, he's no weakling at all. I mean, state championships come and go, but that, you can't take that away from a kid. The crowd watched on their feet and through blurry eyes as Merrick lost the tournament but won the admiration of everyone in the gym. Most especially. Proud. Yeah. His dad. Yep. Bob. Very proud. It's not about winning all the time. It's about doing what's right. And he did. More importantly, Merrick thought doing the right thing would make him look like a weakling. But he did it anyway. Now that's a powerful kid. Steve Hartman, On the Road.
near Utica, New York. See, people like this young man, and people like your favorite person, they don't live, or they didn't live close-fisted, right? They lived open-handed. They lived open-handed. As we head into the new year, man, it provides us a natural reset, a natural restart, but there are habits that you and I can implement to guard our heart and guard our soul that we really begin to grow in our relationship with God. So here's the truth. We all desire someone's attention. We all desire someone's attention. You desire someone's attention. I desire someone's attention. We all desire someone's approval, attention, love, desire, affirmation. We have this need that begins early in life. Um, Our daughter would constantly say as a toddler, hey, watch me. Hey, look, look at me, look at me, look at me. Watch me, dad, mom, watch this. And the problem is our recognition or affirmation bucket leaks. There's never enough. I always need more. It's the nature of appetites, right? No appetite is fully or completely satisfied. An appetite only wants more. And the more we get of anything, the more we want. Over time, we become accustomed to, entitled to, and dependent upon that thing. You were typically unaware that this is happening until we don't get what we are looking for, what we are hungry for, what we are longing for. Uh, have you ever said this? Well, I didn't get invited this time. There's got to be some mistake. He didn't say that he loved me. Well, what did, what did I do wrong? There's something up. She didn't ask for my input. Why is he in there? I'm a better athlete than he is. 400 likes? That's it? What's wrong with people? How did did, did I not get more likes than that person got more likes than I did? And that person has rarely anything good to post. It could feel like it's slipping away in a moment. I mean, we feel like it's slipping away. What we do, we, we, we attempt to cling to it, strive, we fight, we try to do everything we can to regain or retain it. And when we do, people notice, they notice our grip on things. In this case, if our appetite is for attention, we begin receiving it and we get used to it and we become dependent for that attention, but it could be something else for you. It may not just be attention, but it could be something else. And before we know it, we've deceived ourselves with a magic trick. We get close, right? We close our hands to keep attention, but people begin disappearing. Because here's the truth. We cannot close our grip on something that isn't ours. You and I cannot close our grip on something that isn't ours. We're going to see this played out in the early stages of Jesus' ministry. In fact, John the Baptist taught on this habit. You know, the danger of closing our grip on something that isn't ours. And this is something that challenges me every week, if not every day, as I have a personality that likes things a certain way. And so here's the backstory, and it's written in two gospel accounts or two biographies of Jesus on how this went out. So let me, let me kind of give some context. In Mark 1, this is what's written. So John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. 
the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. So John the Baptist is uh, an older cousin of Jesus. He's probably about five to six months older than Jesus. Now, if just 5% of the people went out to see John, then thousands came out. It was not an easy, safe journey to get out to the wilderness. And John creates such a stir that the temple leaders send their assistants to see what is going on. Like, is John the Messiah? Is he the one that's going to liberate us, free us from Roman oppression? Is this the guy we've been praying for? Is this the guy we've been hoping for? And so they ask, John, who are you? And he responds, not who you think I am. I'm not this long-awaited for promised Messiah. I'm the guy preparing the way for the guy. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm unworthy to stoop down and untie. He's like, you think I'm drawing a crowd? Just wait. This guy will be drawing a crowd. In fact, I'm so unworthy that I'm not worthy to even untie his sandals. I, I, I'm unable to even be his slave. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Remember, John is Jewish and he's talking to a Jewish audience and they are waiting for this Messiah from David's line to come and be this king to liberate them and free them. But instead, the Messiah would be the final sacrifice to liberate us from sin. It's likely that John had the Passover lamb in mind. And during the Feast of Passover, the Jews, the Israelites, were instructed to offer a special sacrifice involving a lamb. And the lamb's blood was applied to the doorpost of the Israelite homes as a sign for the death angel to pass over those houses, sparing the firstborn within. This event marked the final plague in Egypt, and it led the liberation of the Israelites from slavery. And the Passover lamb was not only a symbol of protection, but also a foreshadowing of Jesus as a sacrificial lamb whose blood brings liberation for us from sin. John was convinced that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, that God was doing something for the world. And in fact, John had brought this up before, and maybe there are some strange looks. And so he begins to explain it again. He said, this is the one that I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Well, wait, John's older than Jesus, so how does that work? He's clearly stating the Messiah was before him in the sense that the Messiah is God, that Jesus is God. God is eternal. He said, my cousin, he created me. My, my cousin, cousin formed me. And the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And two disciples heard him say this. They followed Jesus. And by following Jesus, they unfollowed John. You ever had that feeling? You ever experienced something like that? They start attending the other church. They went to work for the other company. She started dating that other guy. And it seems to have bothered John's audience. And so they came to his defense. Hey, don't worry, John. Look, we got you. We got you. We'll never leave you. We'll see how long this guy lasts. And then later on, 
they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, and his students came to him and said, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. Like, John, look, like, are we going to be without a job because we decided to follow you? Like, this guy's copying you. This was, this is, this is your thing. This was your thing. And it's not looking good as everyone is going to the other guy. Now, what comes next is so amazing. And it's so hopefully liberating. Because John doesn't fall for it. What he says next is the perspective that is difficult to maintain when you feel like things are slipping away from you. This is the way to live. This is the way to safeguard our soul. It's how you and I live with less need to be in control. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. This is not easy. This is not intuitive. Let me ask a couple of rhetorical questions. Did you choose your family? Did you choose your IQ? Did you choose your athletic ability? Did you choose your talents? Did you choose your place of birth, your health, your looks? Did you choose those things? How many variables beyond your control have you made you who you are? Right? How many variables beyond your control have made you who you are? There's also no reason to close our grip on something that isn't ours. Whatever has been or will be placed in our hands was and is ultimately beyond our control to begin with. God does those things. And he says he must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. John is okay if his fame only lasts 15 minutes. He's okay if it's coming to an end because someone greater than him is here. He's okay. And he knew something that is difficult for any human being, specifically those born in a free society with freedoms almost 2,000 years later from when he said it. And that's to live open-handed. Living open-handed when it feels like life, a friendship, a relationship, a marriage, a job, a career, financial security is slipping away. This is not common in our culture to live open-handed. Imagine a skilled gardener who tended to a beautiful and flourishing garden. This gardener loved each plant, nurturing them with care and attention. One day, a friend observed the gardener and noticed something extraordinary. The gardener held the seeds with a closed fist before planting them. But when it came time to tend the growing plants, the gardener's hands were open. Intrigued, the friend asked, Why do you hold the seeds with a closed fist but care for the plants with an open hand? He smiled and explained, When I hold the seeds, I recognize the potential within them. They represent possibilities and future growth. But once I plant them in the soil, I must trust the process. I open my hands, allowing the seeds to take root and flourish according to their design. See, in our lives, we often hold on to things with a closed fist. Our possessions, our time, our talents, even our relationships. We are afraid to let go, fearing scarcity or loss. However, the gardener's approach teaches us a valuable lesson about living open-handed. 
living open-handed means acknowledging the potential and value within the seeds of our lives, our resources, our skills, our opportunities, all of those things given to us by God. But it also means trusting the process and being willing to release our grip, allowing these seeds to grow and bless others, even if it's for a season. See, what we tighten our grip on eventually decreases in value. What you make available to others has the potential to multiply. See, we need to lose our grip on something that isn't ours. Maybe it's the fear of loss that battles in your heart, that battles your soul, and affects the way that you see and approach life. And when we feel like we're losing, we get too intentional about all the wrong things. If we close our hands, we begin to shrink our capacity for life to living the way that God wants us to live, an abundant, a fulfilling, a satisfying life. Guys, people don't want to be around us when we live closed-fisted. What, what do we do? We blame and make excuses. It's easy to shift the focus away from personal responsibility and blame external factors, blame other people for the situation that we find ourselves in. And people don't want to be around that. How about making comparisons? Constantly comparing oneself to others, especially in the context of failure. And it can lead to failures of inadequacy and self-doubt. I mean, no one wants to be around someone that's constantly negative. And saying, well, if I, was, if I was only better, if I only did this, if I only did this, if I only did that. How about when we focus on the wrong thing? If something is too hard or we don't want to self-reflect and repent, what do we do? We fiddle around with things that really don't matter. We, we, we look at other responsibilities and mindless tasks because we don't want to confront ourselves. How about when we attempt to fix other people? It's natural for us to criticize someone else instead of self-reflecting and making changes ourselves. And then maybe it's, it's a fear of change. We're afraid of change. See, fearing change and clinging to what's familiar while having unhealthy habits and staying in unhealthy situations and staying in unhealthy relationships hinders our spiritual growth. We're unable to grow when we're, when we're in unhealthy habits and unhealthy situations and unhealthy relationships. See, God has made you and I to live open-handed for growth. It's not easy, but this is how we enjoy life. We should fear the consequences of closing our hands more than the consequences of losing what's in them. Open hands are a reminder that everything that we have, everything we are, comes from God. Open-handed living safeguards us from obsessing over what's there rather than who placed it there. I mean, you've heard this over the years here at Southridge. The value of life is always measured by how much is given away, not how much is kept. At a funeral, we don't celebrate what a person kept. We celebrate how they lived. See, Jesus invites you to a life of joy, contentment, and peace. And it may seem impossible 
but Jesus provides us his spirit to do a work in our heart, to do a work in our soul that prepares us to live open-handed. It takes prayer, it takes faith, it takes strength, but it requires you and I to make a decision. Perhaps then you may become the favorite person people talk about. There are two things I want us to think about. Who is your favorite person and why? What are you most tempted to hold close-fisted for fear of it slipping away? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're incredibly thankful that we have recorded John's response. John had a really good response that he needs to decrease and Jesus needs to increase. That he was very clear that whether his fame lasted for 15 minutes or it was going away, it didn't matter to him. He knew what he was sent to do and he lived it out open-handed. Father, I ask that for some of them in the room and those watching online, for some of us, we're holding on to our pride and we're not ready to, 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 to surrender to Jesus as the leader of our life. We're still fighting our sin. We're still fighting our sin nature. We're just not ready to let it go. We're not ready to let our old life go. We're holding on to it. We're not ready for that new life that we have in Christ. So I ask that you would break hard hearts Father, for those in the room who have been followers of Jesus for quite some time, I ask that you will help them understand that we are to live open-handed because what is in our hands is from you. It's not from us. So, Father, help us not to close our grip on something that isn't ours. Let us be open-handed. Help us to be people known for what has been given, not, has, not what's been kept. In Jesus' name. Amen.